I want to thank our sponsors, Athletic Greens, who created AG1, one of the most innovative packets of supplements, including 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. These ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I personally started using Athletic Greens and love the way I feel in the morning after I drink it. And I no longer have energy crashes throughout the day. And the best part is that it's delicious. The founder of Athletic Greens created AG1 because he experienced a ton of gut health and ended up on a complicated and expensive supplement routine to recover. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash yasmine. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash yasmine, Y-A-S-M-E-E-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, my name is Yasmine Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with best-selling author, artist, and creativity leader, Sark Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy. Sark began by creating her iconic How to Be an Artist poster in her magic cottage in San Francisco and has now operated her highly successful creative business for over 30 years. Her books have sold over 3 million copies, and her art, programs, products, and services have sold all around the world. She's an acclaimed teacher and mentor, and she has a new book coming out called Succulent Wild Woman, Dancing with Your Wild Self, and it's the 25th anniversary edition, and we'll leave a link to the book in the show notes. So welcome to the show, Sark. Oh, thank you so much, Yasmin. And I loved it. I love that you changed the subtitle to the to your wild self, which actually fits, but it's actually dancing with your wonderful self. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. Dancing with your wonderful self. <laughs> uh, so uh, Sark, just to kick it off, I uh, have so many questions that I want to ask you. I'm so excited about uh, this conversation, but to kick it off. How do we develop a succulent wild love? What does that mean to you? Oh, yes. Yes. But before I answer that, I want to make sure that the people listening know that I live and teach and practice in what I call the marvelous, messy middle. And that's where I welcome all the feelings in my emotional family. And I blend and alchemize the terrible and wonderful things into a brand new healing mixture. Um, so I really want people to know that that's how the that's how my work arrives and is informed, uh, because I use very bright colors and I talk about a lot of different kinds of concepts that are very positive, and it might cause people to wonder if I'm making room for the dark side as well as the light side. Mm. And I like to say, you know, we always hear that expression on a lighter note. I, I like to also say on a darker note. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Well, and that relates directly to having a succulent wild life and a succulent wild love. 
Um, I wrote a book called Succulent Wild Love that I published in 2016. Um, and it was the, it's the only book I've ever co-authored. And it was with my then fiance, who's named Dr. John Waddell. And we wrote that book and published it, it Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often. And it's for people of all um, descriptions of people who are soulfully single, people who are in committed relationships, people, it, it, all forms of relationship. And um, right after we turned the book in, John became ill and within a week was in the hospital uh, with inoperable cancer and died uh, nine months later in my arms. Wow. And that was a mighty teacher for me. And I've actually written in my in my 25th anniversary edition of Succulent Wild Woman, I've written four new chapters that include all the things that I learned um, and the wisdom that I've acquired over the last 25 years. So, uh, and then I'm actually teaching from that book with with a brand new signature program. So, you know, there's a lot of practice involved. Um, now, let's make sure people know what I mean by succulent. You know, a succulent, as we all know, is a plant. Um, but sometimes people don't think of this. It gathers what it needs from the environment and replenishes itself from the inside. And in that way, it is interdependently connected to all things. Wow. Powerful. So can you speak more about this interdependence? And Because I think a lot of folks, uh, we sort of are dependent on each other. Um, so what's, in your words, like the difference? Yes. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because in this new book, I write an entire declaration of interdependence. Mm. Um, because, you know, we're familiar with the declaration of independence and us feel that we're very, um, you know, independent, which is wonderful. I mean, it's good to be independent. Uh, but I think we miss out then on a lot of um, ability to support and share with one another. So I wrote a declaration of inter interdependence and I'll read just the first line from it. We are willing to fall down from the weight of life and let ourselves feel it all. And we will not stay down no matter what happens. So, and then it goes on for about 12 more um, statements like that to really help people understand we're here, we're connected. We're here to be connected. We're here to support each other. Women in particular uh, need to learn, well, all of us do, but I'm focused on women right now, need to learn to receive. Women are great givers. I like to say most women have PhD in giving and they have, they're not even yet in kindergarten with receiving. And why do you think that is? Well, I think we were all taught, again, to be independent and to not, quote, need people. You know, don't be needy. Women, you know, it's one of the worst things you can tell someone, oh, you're so needy. Uh, the truth is we're all needy. And uh, the other truth is sometimes we give because we don't know how to receive. It's easy to give. Let's give our time. Let's give our energy. Let's give our money. Let's give our attention. Um, and then when we ask women, are you receiving? They just kind of stare at you. And then you explore further. Have, do you ever ask for things? Well, I, you know, I ask, I ask, but sometimes I don't want to be appear too needy. 
And women carry, in general, an internal scorecard around in their head and measure whether they've matched up. Like, I asked this friend to drive me to the airport too many times, Mm -hmm. so I can't ask her again. (laughs) And of course, we need to measure who we're asking, and we have we need to have some awareness of what we're coming, you know, what we're actually asking for and whether it fits with that person. But in general, women are not asking for even 2% of what they need to be receiving. Wow. And so what would be like your advice to women uh, to start being in a receptive mode or to to kind of kick off this receptivity journey? Because I think a lot of people might be confused as to what that even means and how to start. Right. Well, the first thing is awareness, you know, because uh, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this and you recognize yourself, oh, yeah, I do. I do give really easily. Oh, right. I don't ask for people. I don't ask people for things. Take that awareness and, and tuck it in your pocket and walk around with it and start to notice what are you asking for and what are you actually receiving? So if you're practicing receiving, this is how you know you're going to be uncomfortable. That's amazing. I, you know, Sark, a couple years ago, or maybe now four years ago, um, I had a really bad uh, bike accident, which basically put me in a space where I had to receive. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's such, I think for a lot of people, it's such an uncomfortable space to be in, to just to be or to feel so dependent on others. But I look back on that time and I think I marvel at how nice it was just to have so many friends come over and cook for me and take care of me. It was probably one of the most social and happiest times of my life, <laughs> you know? Right. Oh, and thank you for doing that and speaking about that because Here's the other thing. You gave all of those people opportunities to be generous. Right, right, right. And and I think I just made the assumption that, oh, people are busy. You know, they don't have time during the week to make me dinner. But I swear for about six weeks, I had a, new, a friend come over, a different friend come over every single day. Sometimes it was the same person, you know, multiple times a week. But um, yeah, it was, it was wild just how generous I felt. Um, the world was at that at that place. And I think I just had to be open to it. I had to unfortunately be forced into that receptivity. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I- yes. And I mean, yes, I mean, you know, yeah, it, that is the truth. Most of us go forced. And so, you know, when John died, I received unbelievable kindnesses and miracles and support and grace and, you know, just but again, forced into it, you know, because most of us, I mean, come on, we're living in our lives, like everything works, I go to work, I take care of my kids, I have a husband or a partner or a lover, whatever it is. But we're not really questioning, are we receiving? Mm. Yeah, wow. Um, So what else have you learned from this 25th um, anniversary edition that you'd like to share with our guests, like other, other kind of pieces of wisdom, um, that have come through this journey that you've been on? Oh, yes. Thank you. I think, you know, when I wrote this book, I was 42 years old, and I write about the story of that, how that happened, um, and how I got the courage to write about it. It's it's an iconic book. There's almost a million in print, and it's affected so many lives. And so it was really daunting to add material to this book. and. A friend said to me, what do you hope to what do you hope to be able to add? 
And I said, well, I hope that I can add some wisdom. You know, I've had 25 years of a lot of learning and a lot of teaching and a lot of practices, and perhaps I can do that. And so I really, I, I added four brand new chapters of art and words and really instructions for how to live a succulent wild life and how to be a succulent wild woman and person. And I've invited the consciously loving men. And these, this is, I've added inclusion of all who identify as women and of course, transgender and non-binary. And then I've added all my activism that I've been doing over the last 25 years, all the anti-racist work and much you know, so many subjects and like these and uh, things like the Declaration of Interdependence. I've written about deeply grieving and wildly living. I've written about how love comes again because I'm newly engaged to be married. And I write about that, uh, how that happened and how love comes again and love stands tall and really love never dies. Um, I have compassionate inclusivity. I have a guide for how to, how to sparkle when things feel awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I I write about how I uh, released eating refined sugar seven years ago and how that how much that changed my life and I replaced it with sweetnesses that are real sweetnesses in in terms of love and receiving and joy uh, so there's just a lot you know and I I added a lot of art and um, it's it's uh, I can't remember what your question was now. I became so I became so enchanted. Uh, yeah, yes. Well, you know, I I just asked like some of the the new wisdom that came out of the twenty five years. But I actually want to double click on this. I want to double click, frankly, on all the things you said. But this last one, I think a lot of people have a sugar addiction. So um, I love the idea you're saying that you exchange the sweetness of sugar for the sweetness of life. Can you say more about that? Oh, yes. You know, there's a wonderful psychologist. Um, she's no longer physical uh, with us, but her name is Marion Woodman. And she writes so beautifully about what we're craving when we eat sugar is sweetness, the real sweetness of life. And I had long struggled with sugar. I was one of those people that kept thinking I could eat it moderately, and I never could. And so I was always planning to eat sugar or recovering from eating sugar or gathering sugar. I didn't even eat that much sugar, but I was always involved with sugar. And after John was diagnosed um, with cancer, I realized, okay, I think it's time to really look at sugar and how can I, how could I possibly release it? Is there any way that I could release it and be happy? And so I Consciously, I got some some real help in you know checking out my vitamin levels and what was going on. And the, and the truth was, I was self medicating. I had anxieties that I hadn't really learned how to deal with. I had fears. I, you know, there were reasons that I was eating that. It wasn't just because I wanted some chocolate. Um, but again, you know, I wasn't able to eat it moderately or digest it. I was always in a state of you know, agitation, um, some kind of fight or flight. Um, so when I read about Marion Woodman advising to really replace, you know, it's it's always good if we give something up to replace it with something. You know, don't just take it away. So I began looking at, oh wow, you know, how can I 
love myself so beautifully that I don't even miss sugar. And that's what happened. So I do a lot, teach and do a lot of practices. Um, Self-hugging is one of them. I do a lot of kissing of my arms and shoulders and saying what a beautiful person I am and how beloved I am. And it sounds funny, you know, and when you first start doing this kind of thing, it's, it feels odd. You know, you feel like, <laughs> you feel like, you know, because so often we're used to receiving sweetness from other people. And, and that's wonderful. It's wonderful to have hugs from other people and love and sweetness is reflected. And it's ultimately the most marvelous thing to give that to yourself. Wow. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think a lot of people need to hear that right now, especially, you know, coming out of the pandemic. Um, and I think the average weight gain was like 16 pounds or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I and I think for a lot of people, um, you know, turning to our addictions, right, to soothe us rather than bringing in that sweetness, that love, that self-love is so critical and so important. So Sark, I want to switch a little bit to something you said earlier, um, which was your creative process. And you spoke about how you first allow all your feelings to come through and there's, um, you know, some kind of alchemy that happens in the process. But I'd love to actually walk through the creative pro process from start to finish. You know, your books are so wonderfully vibrant. They're filled with art and colors and um, you know, just just so much richness and so much depth. And I'm just so curious what that's like. And I think for people maybe who haven't heard of you, maybe you could talk a little bit about that first uh, How to Be an Artist poster that you created. Mm. <laughs> yes. How to Be an Artist. Stay loose. Learn to watch snails. Plant impossible gardens. Invite someone dangerous to tea. Make little signs that say yes and post them all over your house. Uh, that's the beginning of How to Be an Artist, which is a multicolored poem um, that, that I wrote uh, many years ago now. I've been, by the way, I've been Sark. I've been representing the spirit of Sark for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I was in my magic cottage in San Francisco, and I'd written that in my journal. And I had some, uh, someone dangerous to tea. I had someone over for tea and I read that this person said, how do you live? And I said, well, this is how I try to live. And I read out loud how to be an artist. It really is my um, experience and belief that everyone is an artist. We are all an artist of our lives. And this person heard the poem and said, that needs to be a poster. And I said, great. And I tore the page out of my journal and put it on the wall. I said, there, now it's a poster. <laughs> And he said, no, I mean for the world. And I said, well, I wouldn't have any idea how to do that. And he said, someone does. And then if you can believe this, Yasmin, I said, well, I wouldn't know how to find that person. I mean, it, it's just still astounding to me that I had this level of, um, I guess, resistance or, you know, so often, you know, we don't, we don't pursue something creative because we, quote, don't know how. And the truth is, is exactly what this person said. Someone knows how. Well, that someone turned out to be my cat. Um, <laughs> a wonderful, a wonderful young black cat named Jupiter who lived with me in the Magic Cottage. And he got up on his hind legs and, and 
used his claws and tore that poster off the wall the next morning. And it woke me up with a big whoosh on the floor. And I said, Jupiter, stop it. And it carefully fixed the poster back up there again. And he did it every morning for three mornings. <laughs> finally, I finally said, I think he's trying to tell me something. <laughs> so I found a store that had uh, art and books and things that kind of looked, sim- you know, that was like a creative store. And I also knew that they had a catalog. And I thought, well, maybe they would want this. And so I took it there. And I remember the person looking at it and saying, because it's all handwritten and crooked. And they said, well, this is very crooked and strange. What what does uh, invite someone dangerous to tea even mean? And I said, well, for people who, I said, it's, it's just to do some things that you're not familiar with and to do new things. Well, so they sort of sighed and they said, well, we'll put it in our catalog. Don't expect anything. And I said, okay. <laughs> I went home and told Jupiter. Um <laughs> And the next day they called and they had 200 orders. Wow. And I didn't understand. I didn't know catalog sales. And I didn't know that this was a portent of a lot more to come. And I, I, all I knew was I had to handwrite 200 posters. And so I sat down and wrote, you know, 40 multicolored phrases 200 different times to, to fulfill that order. And I prayed that no one else would order one. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I thought, well, I hope no one else orders one. <laughs> and the next day there was an order for 300. Wow. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> so I sat and hand wrote 300 more. And at the end of the 500 that I made, I said, I can never handwrite this again. So thankfully I used my creative powers and I created another way to do it. Um, it was, I used high quality color Xerox. I hand mounted on French rag paper. I hand colored the edges. And Yasmin, I made 11,000 like this. Oh my goodness. Are they still available? I actually want to buy one now too. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because that poster went on to be reprinted 2 million times and it's been in Time Magazine and it's been a, a wow. many stage plays and it's been in major motion pictures. And I mean, it, it, it went on to have an entire life. So yes, I have, I have a print of it. It's not handmade anymore. I have a print of it on my website, of course. Um, and then I went on to write 18 other posters on 18 other subjects, how to really love a child, how to relax about money, how to forgive your father, how to be really alive, um, being a wonderful friend. I mean, just many, many topics like this. Wow. So that's when I created my company. Oh, so beautiful. So, so can you talk to us about the creative process? Uh, it, you know, it sounds like there's, um, you know, kind of a different process that you go through maybe each time, or is it, is it similar no matter what you're creating? What is, what, yeah, what does that look I like? mean, it's a great question. And thank you for redirecting me back. I mean, I tell, sometimes I share these stories and I'm suddenly back in time. I've made a create, I've made a, how to be an artist poster. I don't, remember what you originally asked. (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny. Um, The creative mind. Yeah, I will say this, you know, you heard me mention these miracle methods. Um, It all comes from those three miracle methods. And I'll just start with the first one, which is for everyone listening, your intuition is your greatest teacher, mentor, guide, unconditional loving part of yourself that drives every creative project. 
And most people know that they have, you know, some people call it their higher self or pure positive energy or all kinds of names people call this part of themselves. And people know they have this part, but they aren't using it like a creative process engine. Like they're not consulting with this part of themselves. I mean, I teach this all over the world. And when I ask how many people are, how many people are aware they have uh, an in- intuitive, I call it my inner wise self. And I describe this and I say, how many people are aware they have this part? And 90% of the hands go up. And then I say, how many people are consulting and having this part advise them on every single thing in their lives? And there may be two hands go up of the whole room. Hmm. And so there's this disconnection from intuition where we reside in our logical mind and we forget the power of the intuition. So I teach people how to connect uh, initially by doing something called an inner wise self love note. And this is where uh, I show people how much love their intuition has to give them right now. And all these years of all these teachings, I've never found anyone that couldn't do it and we set a timer for three minutes and what comes out is just astonishing and people say i feel like i could create anything after i i just got this note let me read this note to you and people cry and you know and all of a sudden and then guess what you can ask your intuition how do i create this how do i invent this business how do i find a partner? How do I have more love in my life? How do I, all those, how do I questions can go right to your intuition. So Sark, just to walk through that process. So you'll ask a question and then the inner wise self love note is basically a note to your inner self. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit moved to read because what first starts is through the love. So yes, you can ask a question, But what I've learned is people can establish a relationship with their inner wise self much more through love. So in other words, this part of yourself knows everything about you and loves you unconditionally. It arrived before you were born. It will be with you your whole life and it will be with you after you're gone. And so, you know, people don't, but people don't access it. So if you just start by asking a question, yes, your inner, your intuition can answer, but it will answer so much more and more fully as you establish a relationship with this part of yourself. So I'm a little bit moved. I want to read um, an inner wise self-love note right now, if you agree. Of course, agree. I would love that. Okay. So my inner wise self tends to speak in very flowery language, very effusive. I've... I mean, I've been communicating all my life during abuse experiences in childhood. My intuition was there talking to me and telling me I was going to be all right. I didn't know at that time that that's what this, that, that it was my intuition, but my intuition has written all of my books. I have 18 books and uh, a very successful company all run on my, by my intuition. Um, and the love relationship that I'm in now came through my intuition. So I'm just, I'm telling this because I want people to understand the power of what's inside of them for all their creative dreams, for everything that they wish for, for all of their desires. So here's an inner wise self love note from my inner wise self to me. And as you listen to this, Yasmin, and everyone listening, um, 
just imagine that it's a note for you too, because although it's personal to me, it's, it's quite universal, which you will see. So it starts out like this, dear, dearest, indelibly precious Susan, I see you with limitless love. I see you in all your resistances, avoidances, and sometimes frantic attempts to avoid creating anything new. I see you avoiding things and then feeling angry that more is not done. I see you frustrated by life seeming to get in the way of your dreams. I'm ready to deliver all that you seek and need. Just ask me. Spend some quiet moments with me and allow me to speak through you. I will give you all the grace, courage, and ability to bring all of your intentions more fully to life. I adore you completely and forever, your inner wise self. Mm, beautiful. I'm going to print that out as well <laughs> and put it on my desk. Uh, so, you know, by the way, I actually just uh, did a TEDx talk called How to Use Your Intuition to Make Better Decisions. So oh. I am all about the, the world of intuition. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people ask, though, how do I access my intuition? Like, how do I, how do I know? And I think you talk about love. And it's so interesting because I think a lot of people oftentimes will, you know, have a fear-based thought and think that that's their intuition or, and I'm always telling them, no, like it's, you can't, you can't access your intuition when you're in a state of fear or anxiety, which I think a lot of people are in. So, um, yes. yeah. So, yes. so tell me like, how do you, um, how, how would you, I guess, like give people some ideas on how to tap into their intuition? You talk yes, about the quiet, yes. the quiet moments. <laughs> Well, yes. And I want to first thank you so much for speaking about that topic and teaching about that topic, because you're absolutely right that people, they get scared to access their intuition because guess what? They've got really active inner critics. And that's the third method in my miracle methods, because, you know, we've got, we've got to replace the critical dialogue inside of our heads with nourishing uh, supportive dialogue because you, you know, you know this, you and your intuition are meant to run your life, not your inner critics. And so I really, um, I really recommend that people, yes, quiet moments, but also you develop that relationship through love and trust. And it doesn't, it, it happens really quickly, actually, you know, people write one love note and they feel like, oh my God, where was this all the time? You know, like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know this was in there. And then they'll say to me, I, I probably used it all up with the beauty of this note. And I say, oh no, I write every day. I'm, I have an inner wise self love note almost every day. And you don't even begin to use it up. There's no using it up. It's infinite. <laughs> so I also want to give people an example of so here's what happens when you start building this connection. You don't need to keep writing notes. You can just start speaking into the air when you need something. You can just say, hey, help me out. What, what, you know, what's a good thing to do now? And I'll give an example. This was, and this is about um, emotional eating, which I know, again, a lot of people do. And I used to do quite, quite a lot. And so obviously I let go of sugar but guess what was left? Things like um, chips, carbohydrates, chips. And there's nothing wrong with carbohydrates and chips, but if you're using it to not feel your feelings, which is common, people try to sedate and anesthetize their feeling. By the way, that's the third miracle method 
because people need an, a feelings care system in this world. Okay, so back to the example, I was having an emotional eating episode, meaning I was marching into a grocery store to get a food that I wanted to eat that would help me manage the emotions I was feeling. So I was marching around in the store and I was on, on the lookout for chips, you know, that I was going to crunch on these chips and it was going to, you know, sedate my feelings, anesthetize them, whatever, so that I could feel better. And then I remembered I'd made an agreement with my inner wise self that the next time I had one of these episodes, I would ask my inner wise self for help. And I thought, oh no, why did I make that agreement? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, how's that going to work? You know, like immediately I thought there's no way that inner wise self has something that's going to help me. That's my first response, skepticism and resistance. So I want people to hear this because it can sound like, oh, you just love, you just love, you feel the love. Well, sometimes you feel the hate, you know, and what do you, what do you do then? And that's what I mean by welcoming all the feelings in your emotional family. So back to the grocery store, I, I said out loud, okay, inner wise self, how are you going to help me now? <laughs> that, was my, that was my statement. Now, before I tell, you, tell this, I want to make sure people know this is an advanced example. So, you know, this is, this is decades of me practicing with my inner wise self, and I've learned to listen to what it advises me. Um, so I just want to make sure people hear that caveat. So my inner wise self said, go ask that man for help. Now I want to tell people I'm a, a high, I'm mostly an introvert and I don't want to go talk to some strange man in the grocery store. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> but again, I've learned to listen to my inner wise self. So I went over there having no idea what I was going to say to this crabby looking man who was sifting through the produce at the grocery store. So I got <laughs> close to him and I said, excuse me. <laughs> and he turned and looked at me, you know, what? <laughs> and I just blurted out, could you remind me that I really want love and not chips? <laughs> <laughs> and Yasmin, his face turned into a flower, like I can't even explain. It literally turned into a flower. He was so loving. He had this huge smile. He also had an Australian accent. And he said, oh, darling, you just want some love. I'll give you some love. And he scooped me up off the ground and, and, and bear hugged me off my feet. And then his wife came from behind and hugged me from the back. I was in a hugging sandwich. And I was laughing so hard. And of course, the chips were no longer needed. <laughs> and I was reminded again of the power, the mighty power of our intuition, of my intuition, and everyone listening and their <laughs> intuition. Oh, I love that story so much. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, my goodness. I love well, it. I literally have thousands of them, Yasmeen. That's so, um, you know. I love I love this idea of also just invoking and asking our inner wise self for help because you know I think a lot of people sort of go default into the inner critic you know and and so 
I'd love to actually understand a little bit from your perspective, like how do you deal with, or how do you teach people how to deal with their inner critic? You said a couple of things actually that really sparked my interest. One was to to feel all your feelings, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people don't do. Right. Um, and then, yes. And then also the inner critic piece. So you could take either question. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, feeling all your feelings Yes, I teach uh, both a five-second method and a five-minute method. I'll just describe the five-second one right now for everyone so they have a tool. Um, It's basically awareness of a feeling. As soon as you have an awareness of a challenging feeling, you say its name out loud, or if you're with other people, you could say it under your breath. Sadness, I'll just pick sadness for now. Sadness, I see you, I hear you, I acknowledge you. This allows the feeling of sadness to soften, change shape, and be able to receive your love. So it's, I see you, I feel you. I see you, I hear you, I acknowledge you. Any version of acknowledgement, it doesn't have to be those words exactly, but it's just an acknowledgement of the feeling. Feelings only want, they just want our love and attention and they don't need much. But what we fear is that they need everything. So we resist them, deny them, avoid them, repress them, hide from them, run from them, say they don't exist, put them under a carpet and just lie. Mm, So like the next time fear comes up, uh, you know, I would say something like, I see you, I hear you, I acknowledge you, and then sit with, sit with that feeling for however much time is next. Five seconds. Five seconds. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Five seconds. It's more about feeling the feeling. So you want to say its name. So you would say fear. I see you. I hear you. I acknowledge you. And then just feel fear. And, you know, it's, they can then soften. It's like, oh, because guess what? Feelings have no choice but to get louder and larger if no one's home and no one's listening. Mm, That's powerful. And then what about this five minute one? (laughs) Oh, well, that's, that's, that's where you write onto, you express onto paper. Um, so that's an, another system. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's basically, it's more than that, but the fast explanation is expressing your feelings onto paper. So they get out of your head mm. because people, you know, the real clutter clearing that we all need to do is, cl- is clearing untended feelings out of our heads. Yeah. So sometimes I wonder when it comes to journaling, um, if we over-index on focusing on like negative stories or negative emotions, if that just like kind of takes us down that road, um, you know, how do you kind of reinforce, uh, what you want, like what you want to create? Yes. (laughs) Well, that's why I really recommend that people have a practice where they express the so-called negative. Of course, there are no negative feelings, but let's call them challenging feelings where they have a place and a time. Like I'm going to use five minutes to express my negative feelings, my challenging feelings. And then guess what? I'm going to write what I appreciate and I'm going to write what I want and I'm going to write what I love. And all of a sudden now you're spending a lot less time, um, you know, focused on things you don't want. So then let's just speak briefly about the inner critic, because obviously there's so much that can be said. But I, what I want people to know is inner critics are part of all of us. They're not bad. They're not wrong. There's nothing wrong if you have a lot of inner critic messages that you hear. Um But what people don't have is any kind of care system for tending to them and redirecting them. And that's all you need. 
And so I teach, again, a very, like a five-minute method. I like things that are short (laughs) and that are effective. (laughs) Um, And this all comes, of course, from my actual experiences and then my experiences teaching. And, um, you know, I have a lot of different programs and courses. Um, But this this inner critic, I call it the inner critic one-step. I like things that sound fun. So it sounds like a dance move or something. (laughs) Um, And and it basically, uh, you, you... you, when you have an inner critic thought, my inner critics just tried to stop me. <laughs> when you have, it's like, stop her. When you, when you have an inner critic thought, I call those, by the way, accusations. Because the inner critics love to speak like, you always, you never, you should. You know, they're full of these kind of dramatic proclamations. You never you don't do the right thing. You don't save enough money. You never will. You, you know, <laughs> so you write down a loud accusation that you hear, and then you do um, what I call a counterstatement with the help of your wonderful inner wise self. And guess what? All of a sudden you take your power back because when inner critics are allowed to be unchallenged, They're just running around in there saying all this stuff inside your head that is so debilitating. You know, as soon as you think of finding a new love, your inner critic is right there. Well, who are you going to meet? How are you going to meet someone? Who who wants to be with you? Oh, (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm laughing, but it's actually not really very funny. I mean, inner critics are, and this is what I like to say to people. If you leave inner critics unsupervised, it's like leaving toddlers in the kitchen with knives. (laughs) Okay, so so let's say you have a loud accusation, you'll never find love. Uh, the counterstatement, you want to start with a what I call a power word, and one of those power words is the word actually. And so you would say, actually, I have a lot of love and I'm learning all the time and eager to allow new love into my life. So you would make a statement like this that's a counterstatement that will take the wind out of the sails of that original accusation. All of a sudden, that's not the leader. You've replaced that with the counterstatement made with you and your wonderful inner wise self. So then I recommend that people cross out the accusation and highlight and amplify the counterstatement. Mm, I love that. Like just visually looking at something crossed out and then something else kind of even bringing color <laughs> to it. Yes. 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 <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Um, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to definitely start that practice myself. Uh, and, you know, I think also the pandemic, I think, has put a lot of people into a, a space of uh inner self-inquiry, contemplation, rumination. We've had to spend a lot more time in our heads. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yes. And you find you find out what's going on in there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and let let's, you know, let's tell people your your mind is meant to be empty and your heart is meant to be full. Mm, I love that. I love that. I mean, what has been your experience as a teacher, um, you know, in, in the world of self-love and love it, it, itself? I mean, you talk about succulent wild relationships, um, you know, just anecdotally, I've seen that a lot of people I feel don't feel loved or don't feel a sense of self-love. 
Uh, yes. So um, yeah, I'm curious to know what are some, and you gave us a couple of practices earlier, but like, what have you seen maybe shift in the last like 25 years? And even just during the pandemic, what has been your, your kind of perspective on, on this, this world of self-love? Yes. Yes. Well, you know, thank you. I mean, I feel like the, the practices and the processes and the opportunities for self-love are, are a lifetime of work. Um, and we, we always want quick things, you know, and you heard me say it, I like short, effective practices that work, but that doesn't mean I'm shortcutting. Um, because again, the practices are, um, multi-layered, you know, healing happens in spirals and layers. It's not like a ladder, you know, you don't, these aren't seven steps to, you know, feeling better all the time. (laughs) Right. Um, because you know we we're humans and we live life and we find ourselves in all kinds of circumstances and patterns and feelings and you know so uh the that's why i teach the succulent wild love that's why i'm teaching actually for the first time from the book because there's so much i can share about how people how people can feel better more often so that they can love more often I mean, that's the real story. I mean, after John died and I was, what was I, 60 something years old? Um, and I I thought, I want another epic love. Well, how's that ever going to happen? You know, I like, how's that ever going to happen? So I started online dating and I didn't really enjoy that very much. And then I hired a matchmaker and I learned a lot, but I didn't really find myself meeting anyone. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just be soulfully single again, because that's a perfectly wonderful um, thing to be. But I knew I wanted, I knew there were spiritual teachings for me with love with another person. Mm. Um, I'd I'd come to a a lot of understanding about self-love with myself, but I didn't have as much about about practicing self-love while in the presence of another. Mm. And so how do you stay? Really, I wanted to be soulfully single and have a partner. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I thought, well, that's crazy. That's never going to happen. And so I was 64 years old and I wrote, I I decided I was done with all the standard ways to find love. And I wrote a letter uh, called I'm Dating the World. Because I decided that to love the world was really, was really going to be my purpose. And so I, I published that and it had a huge response. People, I want to do that too, or I'm doing that too. It was a wonderful, uh, you know, cascade of messages and people joining me. And so I knew that it was a impactful message. So I, I wrote about what dating the world meant to me and what, what, I, what kind of practices I was doing, including, of course, my miracle methods, but other things too. And, um, and then I have this inspiration phone line, Yasmin. I've had it for almost 30 years. And it's a phone line, a free phone line that I opened when I started publishing my books because I wanted my readers to have a place to connect with me. And uh, so I have the privilege of, of hearing so many messages from around the world. And it's really, I think of it as like collective consciousness. And I invite people to just listen and hang up or leave a message at the end. 
And I received a message on my inspiration phone line from a man. I get mostly calls from women, but there are men that call, succulent wild men. And I had this message from a man who said, I just read your letter that you're dating the world. I love that. And he said, that's how I live too, loving the world. He said, I'm just loving your heart right now. Mm. And then he said, I love you. 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 Is this too much? I love you. I love you. I love you. Love you. I love you. Hey, my name's David. If you'd ever like to give a call, here's my number. <laughs> so, so, so I, 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 I called him back the next day. Um, and by the way, John, my former fiance who died, came to me from the afterlife and said, your husband is on his way. He'll arrive in May. Well, I met David May 21st, four years ago. Wow. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. And, uh, you know, it's so powerful as a writer that so much of the world sees you, like really sees you. Um, You know, I think that a lot of people who are not writers sometimes don't know how powerful it is to just to to share what's happening in our inner world with with others. So, um, yes. And isn't that the best thing about social media. I mean, it, it of course has a dark side, which it ought to, <laughs> but from, from another side, isn't it wonderful that so many people are publishing their lives and parts of their lives to support and inspire others? Yeah, absolutely. This show included. So, um, so Sark, the phone line, the inspiration phone line, uh, is that, so that's something we can all call? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's, it's, it, uh, do you want me to give you the number now? Yes. It's it's 415-546-3742. And, um, I, I, often read a poem or cry or talk about something. I I change it as spirit moves me. And sometimes it stays the same for months and months. And, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's my most wonder, one of my, and then occasionally, occasionally I call someone back. Um, there's no criteria, but I'm just moved. If someone tells me their partner died or their mother died, or they feel sad and alone, or, or they just want to celebrate and they want someone to celebrate with them. I mean it's 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 an amazing thing and we just call and like listen and then we leave a message is that how it works yeah or you can just hang up um so it's perfect for introverts no one would ever answer it so there's no time you can call anytime you will never be interrupted by a person saying who's this (laughs) (laughs) and um it it people use it sometimes a little bit of a confessional. They'll tell me, you know, they tell me things. I I hold it in the most sacred. Uh, I listen to the messages um, as many as I can. Of course, sometimes I miss some, but I'm glad I didn't miss that one from David. Mm, I love that. (laughs) I love that. Oh, so Sark, what sort of things have surprised you the most on this journey? Oh, well, that's a great question. I mean, probably the amount of love that I'm able to experience on a daily basis and the miracles that crowd around me and, and all the, all the ways that I can ask for and receive love and support and all the wonders of the human heart. 
and all the wisdom that is available to all of us if we will only practice and be humble and willing and available. Mm, that's so beautiful. And what's like a typical day for you? Like, how do you, do you do something creative every single day, or do you kind of you know only drop into creative work when you feel inspired? How, how does it work for you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I always love that question because I always want to tease the person and say there there is nothing typical. Mm. Um, but I will say that I'm committed to practices, the miracle methods I use every day. I I have um, something I call the great day guide because I realized, oh my gosh, I'm having a great day most days. And it's because of doing these practices. So self-hugging and setting and not just setting intentions, but living intentions, you know, and responding to life, not reacting to life and being guided and led by my intuition, uh, doing my inner feelings care practices and doing my inner critic uh, care. You know, I have this new program and book coming out and I had 19 messages of accusations from inner critics about it. You know, it doesn't stop. I mean, people think, oh, you've achieved this now. You know how to handle your inner critics. Well, guess what? New ones come up and ones that you didn't think about. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do probably something creative every day because I love that. I love creating. I love being inspired. I love inspiring. Um, I love my business. I have a really creative business. We have a great team. And I'm learning more than ever how to be collaborative and how to stay out of things that don't uh, need me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one, right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it is because, you know, if you think, if you see something and think, well, I could do that better. Okay. Well then are you, do how many things are you actually doing? And I, I, have a lot of time for walking and being in nature and um, spontaneous gatherings. I, I, I go on miracle walks almost every day. It's where you go out of your house or wherever you live and you say, miracle, find me now. Oh. <laughs> and then you, you open your eyes to see a miracle and to receive a miracle. And by the way, you can change that uh, wonderfully and say, miracle mood, find me now. Miracle person, find me now. And that's how I live from miracle to miracle. Oh my gosh. Sark, you are such an inspiration. And <laughs> oh my, you know, I just uh, recently, I've been in the, I was in the Bay Area for about eight, almost eight years and just moved to Los Angeles. And, you know, I think I took for granted how much access to nature and, you know, even just to the water there. I mean, there's definitely water in Los Angeles, but, um, you know, in my neighborhood, I had a lot more access to nature and and I'm... I'm sort of missing that, you know, after having this conversation, I've some, some somewhat forgotten um, just the, the miracles that are always abundant and around us, regardless of actually where we are in the world. Yes, 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 and <laughs> yes, thank you for speaking of that, because people, you know, and they, it doesn't need to be big things, it can be tiny things, it can be that something that's growing out of a crack in the cement, you know, right. and also miracles can appear in ways that don't initially look like a miracle. It could come through a barking dog or a crying child or a construction noise, or, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tuning your vision to see miracles and receive them and learn, learn and practice how to welcome them 
And the other one is to ask. And I know it sounds funny, like, how are you going to get something by, by asking, you know, what's going to come, you know, miracle mood, find me now. Well, again, I have thousands of stories. And I'll just tell a quick one right now, which is, this was many years ago when I was a starving artist, and I had my magic cottage in San Francisco, and I couldn't afford the rent, and it was due in two days. And I, I was creating these miracle walks. And so I went outside and I said, miracle money, find me now. And I put my hands out and, and then felt like an idiot, you know, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, what's going to happen? But I didn't, I knew that it was, whatever it was, was better than what I was thinking inside my head, which was all inner critics. This was before I really had connected so deeply with my intuition and I didn't know how to manage inner critics. And so I was really uh, not doing well. So I stood there on the street and suddenly I saw I live on a tall hill and I saw what looked like a leaf blowing up the street. And then I looked and I said, that's not a leaf. And I pounced on it and it was a hundred dollar bill. And <laughs> amazing. Four, four more blew up the street. Oh my and God. So now I had the money for rent and including some leftover for food. And friends teased me because they said, how long did you wait out there for more? And I said, about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, Sark. That's an incredible story. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm going to be doing some daily miracle walks. (laughs) I'll let let you know how they go. (laughs) Oh, yes, mean. I love it. Well, I love how you um, do an interview and how how much you integrate into your life. And thank you for being a person willing to practice as much as they teach. Oh, thank you. Well, you you know, Sark, I'm, I'm really curious also... Uh, who you look up to, you know, like who are the people that have maybe inspired you on your path? Oh, so many, of course. I mean, many of them are what I describe as paper mentors. And that's what I mean by that is people who inspire you through the pages of a book and you might not ever meet them, um, but you can receive their wisdom and their, and their, their love through pages of a book. And someone that I looked up to very, very much when I was 16 years old, I read Dr. Maya Angelou's book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Oh, yeah. And I was being molested in my family and I'd never told anyone. And I read her book and I thought, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, how can, how can she be so great and have had this terrible things happen to her? And I went to my local library to hear her speak. And afterwards, I somehow got the courage to go up to her and talk to her and tell her that I had been abused in my family. And it was very scary. And she was sitting at this big wooden table and she reached across and held my hands. I I said, I was molested by my older brother. And she took my hands in her hand and she said, you are all right. You are all right. Hmm. And I felt the cells in my body literally change. I felt that her support and knowing that I was actually all right. And by the way, this matched a message that I would hear during these terrifying scenes of abuse. I would hear this voice inside my head saying, you are all right. And I didn't know then that it was my intuition, but it was. And then here was Maya echoing it back to me. 
So I took that at age 16. Now, it took me decades to write my first book. I procrastinated. I wrote my first book when I was 10, and I didn't publish till I was 35. Um, but I was 42 when I wrote this book, Succulent Wild Woman. And I somehow got the courage to ask Maya Angelou to endorse it. Wow. And I was so scared, Yasmin. You know, she and she had these guards at the gate. I mean, she had these just wonderful dragon women <laughs> you know, who who were like, you know, why should she endorse your book? And why would she? And you know, they were, of course, being protective and they were her team. I mean, we didn't describe it that way at that time, but that's what they were. And I, I said, well, she talked to me when I was 16 and she changed my life. And, and so I thought she might want to, you know, and I put her in the book and I thought she might want to endorse it. Well, they said, well, don't expect anything. And I said, okay. <laughs> and this was back in the old days of actual answering machines that, that were in a box <laughs> that were plugged in <laughs> in your house. You can imagine <laughs> such a thing. And here came this incredible voice. Sark, this is Dr. Maya Angelou. I would like to endorse your book. <laughs> Thank you for asking me. And then she, she, she recited, we in this world, in this weary old world, have a great gaping need for Sark. Let's call for more and more Sark to fill each child's book bag and every attache case. Oh, my God. And <laughs> then there's a whole story. I went on to do a national television show with her. We became friends. She wrote a poem for my other book. Uh, she, she changed my life. Oh, my God. Wow. She is such an icon and I believe grew up in San Francisco, correct? Yes. Yes. I, re I remember a little bit of, of her background um, in, in the city. And I mean, I just think that that is so awesome. <laughs> uh, establishing a friendship and also the courage that you had to go and ask. Because I think, a yes. lot, right? Like a lot of people. Yes, just... this is... <laughs> This is the asking that I'm talking about. Everyone listening, you have something that you haven't asked for. And so I tell people, ask, ask again, ask differently. So often we measure what we get like, well, I asked and nothing came or <laughs> I asked and I didn't get it. Well, okay. What else have you asked? Have you asked differently? Have you asked again? And that asking changes everything. Mm, I love that. I love that. I was going to ask, what's your main takeaway? But I feel like that <laughs> is, it, it's, a, it's, a it's a, probably one of the best takeaways. <laughs> Just ask, yes. ask differently, ask for more, ask again. Yes, yes. And it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be scary. And fine, hang up the phone and scream. You know, ask the thing, make, let your hands get all sweaty. You know, I'll would you would you be willing to do this? I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, challenge yourself. Ask for more. Remember what I said. People are asking for about 2% of what they could ask for. Mm, I love that so much. Sark, you are such an inspiration. I feel like so many people are going to really transform their lives from this conversation. Are there any resources that you can point folks to in order to learn more about you, your work, your courses? You've got a number of courses on your website as well. Um, as all yes. And we have this, I'm so excited about the signature course that will be out for Succulent Wild Woman. Um, and we're 
Planet Sark is is a great place to go, and everything is will be on there. And um, there's so many resources. And by the way, I'm a big. You might know this. I have a big uh, supporter of resources, so the book is full of updated resources and links um, of you know all the things that I recommend and all the great. Um, Oh, there's just so much, you know, isn't there? I mean, it's just, I'm so happy to be a, a great supporter and recommender of people and resources. And I do that on my social media too. Mm, amazing. I can't wait. So I, I have uh, a couple of your books. I'm, I can't wait to read the 25th anniversary edition. Um, so again, for folks listening, you can check that out. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, you can also head over to Amazon or wherever you purchase your books, Barnes and Nobles. I imagine it's going to be at every... Um, yes, kind of every they're doing a big, yeah, big campaign. It's very exciting. Okay. And there's, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Okay, great. Sark, thank you so much for your time. This was such a incredible, powerful conversation. I feel so inspired. I feel excited about doing, spending a lot, a lot more time on creativity and writing. Um, so thank you so much. Oh, good. <laughs> Yasmin. I'm so glad. Thank you for being a gateway to awakening. And thank you for being uh, your incredible self. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about how to live a succulent, creative, and passionate life with Sark. And you can tune into Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one -on -one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.